Blog Talk Radio. Bible Talks, 
sponsored by ISBHPK. I'm your host, your brother, your friend, as always, Tugger Pie, man. Welcome back to the show, y'all. Uh, feel good to be back. Uh, apologize for last week, man. Uh, so much trouble in the world, nigga. Can't nobody feel your pain. Man, that's how I be feeling a lot of times. Uh, but I got a lot of stuff going on uh, personally, y'all. And that's why I did not do the show last week. Uh, but I'm back, man, back. And uh, good to be back here on Blog Talk. And want to send shouts out to all the brothers and sisters, 12 tribes scattered worldwide, man. Shalom to y'all. Also, shout out to our brother's school in VA, Rochester, H-Town, and, of course, the brothers here in San Antonio. Shouts out to the brothers in Albuquerque. Shouts out to you, Mishaba, my brother, the water for hooking up the broadcast, uh, for making it all possible, for uh, keeping Block Talk going strong, man. What is it? Uh, oh, I know it's over 10 years now, man. It's got to be. Um, blog talk and uh, the water. Thank you to all the listeners, man, that's been listening in, listening in over the years, um, and for all that that uh, are supporting blog talk, man. And I know Mashaba always hits y'all up with that information on his cash app. Yes, we do need support to keep blog talk up and running, man. Uh, wish wish it was free, <laughs> but it ain't free, y'all. <laughs> We got to pay for this uh, to keep everything going, man. So your uh, donations, tights, uh, priest funds, offerings are greatly appreciated, uh, greatly accepted. <laughs> hope everybody's good. Hope everybody's healthy. Hope everybody had a great weekend, a uh, uh, great Shabbat. Man, a lot of stuff been going on in the news of, uh, and it's crazy too, man. I'm I'm kicking myself because I was uh, tripping off of it last week, uh, just listening to uh, media outlets and stuff. All the stuff that's going on, man. I'm kicking myself because I ain't writing none of this stuff down, and I usually do, man. Uh, I've been kind of out of sorts here lately. Um, but some of the stuff I did uh, commit to memory, and I want to go over with you this morning. If it's your first time tuning into the show, what I usually do is I do about an hour of news, current events, and um, touch upon a soapbox <laughs> for about an hour. Then I dive into the topic at hand, uh, the topic today being um, a continuation from the series that I've been working on, um, Never Wax Pale, and Going into the captivities of the northern kingdom, then I get into the southern kingdom of Israel, which I'm dealing with in particular now in this series, um, dealing with the assimilation part of our captivities, um, which I'm going to get into it, which is going to bring us in to the New Testament, man. And we could more thoroughly understand the New Testament because a lot of people uh, through religion and its doctrine 
and this ideology get the Bible or pick the Bible up, and they only want to go to the New Testament and just start reading there. Well, there's a reason for that, y'all. I want you to understand that. The reason for that is because when you just pick the Bible up and you go straight to the New Testament, then that leaves room for religion to enter in. And when religion enters in, then that leaves more room for everybody in the world to stake its claim to the Bible. And that is just not so, man. That's a falsified doctrine. And that's a misinterpretation of the Bible and what it actually is about, what it actually says and reads, man. And a lot of people get thrown off by the terminology that's used in the New Testament. So uh, today's class is going to be thoroughly going over those events. But before I can even get there, y'all, like I said, I do about an hour news, current events. Uh, but let me start off with this. This is Matthew chapter 6. And I hope everybody can hear me loud and clear. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. After this manner, therefore pray ye, art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Amen, y'all. We need to be sending this prayer up on the daily so we get the hell on, man. Get up out of this place. I hope y'all been looking at the news. It's about that time, man. It's about that time. Let's go to Psalms now, chapter uh, 118. We're going to read verse 24, y'all. So, yeah, y'all, uh, I think, yeah, the last class I did was was with Hasidiah, my reader, uh, if y'all wasn't listening to that one. She got a job, so <laughs> she will not be joining us uh, this morning. Uh, y'all got me, man, so bear with me. Uh, Psalms chapter 118, verse 24, this is the day which the Lord had made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So good or bad, happy or sad, the most high brought you to it. He definitely going to bring you through it, and you come out better on the other side because of it, man. Like I say, I'll be chopping myself up with this scripture uh, continually. <laughs> we got to live it, man. We got to live it, and we got to believe it. It's like... uh those signs you might see or the T-shirts you might see people wearing, yes, I believe. Well, this is the time, brothers and sisters. This is the time, y'all. Do you really believe, man? And you'll find out when you start going through trials and tribulations in your life if you really believe in this book and the power of the Most High, man. Because to be honest with you, that is all we have. And when I say all we have, I don't mean to belittle it. I just mean that we have a tendency to think that we are in control of our own situations or we can take a situation over and it's going to be by our strength and our might that we pull through it and make the situation better. <laughs> no, 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 no. That is not the case at all, y'all. The most high, that's why you hear people say he's omnipresent. 
Because the Most High is everywhere, man. Everywhere. I was going over that um, with my kids about how the scripture says that the Most High's eyes are 10,000 times brighter than the sun. The sun. And we know that the Most High has his angels watching. Because it tells you in Revelation that there are 24 elders. Those 24 elders, angels, that sit around the throne of the Most High. And those 24 angels uh, mean 12 for the day, 12 for the night, are watching in the 24-hour period, man. It also tells us in Ezekiel, I believe the fourth chapter, how those angels have many eyes. <laughs> many eyes. Many eyes for what? To watch us, man. To watch what we're doing. I mean, how else? Because it tells you in Revelation <laughs> that the books were open, man. The books is talking about our recorded lives, y'all. I don't know if y'all knew that. It's talking about our recorded lives and the events, the righteousness, and the wickedness that we do, man. It's being recorded. And we're going to be judged out of our books, our own books, authored and illustrated <laughs> by us, and the the book, the book of life, the Bible. Yes, that's how we're gonna be judged, y'all. I don't know if y'all knew that. You know, with with that in mind, maybe we'll be more cautious in the way we move, man, knowing that the angels is watching, man. Was that uh? It was a Jay Z song. I think it was. The streets is watching. Niggas is gossiping. We need to know. <laughs> the angels is watching, man. And they 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 ain't gossiping. They taking it back to the Most High. Hey, look what this nigga did. <laughs> this particular day. Just food for thought, y'all. Food for thought. All right, let me get on with the with the get on, y'all. So the first article I want to read. Is uh, from NPR, y'all. And actually, this is from last week, March 17th. And the headlines read, Five Big Moments from the Week That Rocked the Banking System. Woo! I don't know if y'all been keeping up with this. The American financial system is failing. Now, let me say it more correctly if we get into this article. The global economic system is failing. So if you thought, if you thought that your money was going to secure you and keep you safe, thought wrong. We've known in the article, the sudden collapse of California-based Silicon Valley Bank sent depositors into panic and global markets into chaos as the U.S. government scrambled to prevent the fire from spreading to other banks and possibly setting aflame the global banking system. I'm not making this up, y'all. Yeah, it hit Silicon Valley, but this situation is global. It ain't just domestic. It ain't on the national level. It's on the global level. This has global ramifications, y'all. Silicon Valley Bank, or SVB, I'm sorry, S, yeah, SVB, 
had been the 16th largest U.S. bank with more than $20 billion in assets and about $175 billion in deposits before it failed last Friday. So this bank, it just collapsed, y'all. It failed. But look at the holdings. $200 billion in assets and about $175 billion in deposits. So that's other people's money. <laughs> that's the general public's money. It says, after SBB's collapse, another bank, another one, <laughs> DJ Khaled, right? New York-based Signature Bank followed. So this from coast to coast, man, because you get the Silicon Valley Bank on the West Coast, then you get the New York Bank, the Signature Bank, on the East Coast. It says, the Biden administration then announced it was taking extreme emergency measures to prevent a total crisis. This man, this is the will of the most high. Still, by the end of this week, almost everyone with memories of the two, uh, 2008 financial crisis was holding their breath as they watched a major European bank, Credit Suzy, and another regional one, First Republic, Peter near insolvency. <laughs> this is global, y'all. If y'all didn't know, the financial capital of the world is Europe, y'all. It ain't New York. New York is an extension of the financial capital of the world. But the financial capital of the world, of Esau's world, it's Europe, y'all. But did y'all just hear this about Bank Susie in Europe? In Europe, yeah, went under. All right, reading on. Here are some of the biggest moments from banking's troubled week. Friday, March 10th, SVB collapses. California regulators seized SVB on Friday, citing inadequate liquidity and insolvency. As too many depositors try to withdraw their money at the same time in a bank run, triggering the biggest bank collapse since the 2008 financial crisis. Now you got to ask yourself this, y'all. Why would all these people be running to the bank to withdraw their money at the same time unless they know something? I don't know if y'all been keeping track, man. They keep lowering interest rates to try to offset or balance the economy, but it's not working. It ain't working, man. A recession is inevitable. It's going to happen. A depression is coming. Talk about the Great Depression? Man, ain't got nothing on what's to come, y'all. Ain't got nothing on what's to come. And I know I've been seeing the prices at the grocery store. Mashaba was talking about this, what, last week, I think? It's ridiculous, man. You go in the grocery store with $40, man, you probably going to leave out of there with maybe six items. <laughs> maybe six items. It's ridiculous. This is good, bad news, like Kyle Kyle always be saying. Reading on in the article, it says, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, or FDIC, 
the government agency that protects bank customers, took control of SVB and set up another bank where depositors could access their money. So now you got the government stepping in and taking over banks, y'all. This, <laughs> if y'all are not keeping up with this and know what this really means, then y'all stupid, man. I I really, I can't. Okay, let me let me let me be let me be more uh, politically correct, <laughs> even though we ain't here at Block Talk. But I'm just gonna spray y'all fillers a little bit. Y'all real simple if y'all ain't taking heed to what's going on, man. It says established just 40 years ago, SVB had attracted startup founders and venture capitalists around the tech industry and boom during the pandemic. But rising interest rates from the Federal Reserve's effort to curb inflation in recent months dealt a big blow to the bank's holdings, particularly its long-term bonds, which dropped in value when the rates went up. So everybody that's pulling their money out, and you know it's the elite because we don't have access to cash like that, but you know the elite, they have uh, what, what they – Call insider, uh, what inside trading or insider trading, where they got a friend of a friend and all this other stuff, tells them, hey, this stock here is gonna plummet, this is gonna drop, X, Y, Z. This is why all of them racing trying to pull their money out because the global financial system is failing, man. Early in the week, SB, SVB had announced it was selling part of its bond holdings and would incur a $1.8 billion loss spooking account holders who scrambled to transfer, transfer out their cash. So this is what happens. They selling stuff. People get, uh, get the word. They get shook. Go get their money out. Fear spread among startups and other small businesses that use SDB had their money vanished. Ooh. The FDIC only insures depositors up to 250000 but most of the bank's customers have more than that in their accounts. And many wonder if they would even be able to make payroll in, in coming days. All right, so that was, uh, what was it? Let me see if we get the date again. That was March what? March 10th. All right. Now this right here. Uh, Sunday, March 12th, another bank fails, and the government steps in, Signature Bank. So this is the one in uh, Europe. Uh, One casualty of the the panic caused by SDB's collapse was Signature Bank, a mid-sized New York-based institution that had about $110 billion in assets. State regulators seized the lender after customers withdrew more than $10 billion worth of deposits, according to CNBC. So this is why they're collapsing, because everybody pulling their money out, man. I guess this is the time to start keeping your money on your mattress, huh? The Biden administration announced later that day that it would take extraordinary measures to ensure that the SVB and signature depositors got all their money back even the parts that weren't insured. The government would use FDIC funds and sell the bank's assets with anything left over coming from a special assessment levied on all U.S. banks. Man, there ain't no way people can get their money back. 
And I love how Creepy Joe always want to say that everything is all right, man. All right, this is Monday, March 13th. Biden confirms that all depositors of SVB and Signature will be safe, but not investors. With the country worried that these were the first moments of another major crisis and possibly another great recession, Biden gave a speech before the market opened on Monday. He emphasized that customers of both SVB and Signature could rest assured that they would have access to their money that day. Your deposits will will be there when you need them, Biden said. Yeah, right, Creepy Joe. All right, Wednesday, March 15th, fears of global banking crisis grows after Credit Suzy stocks crumble. And I already read y'all that one. So let me get on to the next one. Uh, March 16th, Thursday, March 16th, Credit Suzy and uh, failing or uh, flattering First Republic both wrote uh, lifelines. Credit Suzy announced it would borrow up to $54 billion from Switzerland's central bank, which stepped in to save the embattled bank and uh, quell investors' fears. Man, I don't know if y'all familiar with Swiss Bank, man, but, you know, Swiss Bank is like, that's the bank that everybody wants to put their money in, you know, all the rich folks. Put them in the Swiss account, Swiss bank, Swiss stocks and bonds. We got Swiss banks failing now. It says uh, later that day, a group of 11 big-name banks, including Bank of America, J.P., Morgan, Chase, Goldman Sachs, and Wells Fargo stepped in to save First Republic Bank, a mid-sized California-based lender that saw its shares Take after SB, SBB's collapse. So you got all these banks coming together, man. I'm telling y'all, it's on the way. The recession is definitely on the way. Uh, let me see. Oh, here it is right here. Let me read out with, uh, let me just keep reading. At the end of 2022, First Republic had about $212 billion in assets and $176 billion in deposits, much of which was unassured and, I'm sorry, which was unassured as was the case in SDBs and signatures. So these banks didn't, weren't even assured, insured on their money, on their investments. And you know how Esau is, man. They and, and if you're not familiar, y'all, they invest your money. Banks invest your money to get returns, and they take the investments that they make are all high risk, high risk, with the potential to have high rewards. But if it's high risk, that means there's there's no guarantee you're gonna get your money back. It says the rescue was praised by lawmakers, including Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Fed Chair Jerome Powell, FDIC Chair Martin Gutenberg, and Acting Controller of the Currency, Michael Hisu. I can reassure the members of this committee. Y'all hear this? I can reassure the the uh, I can reassure the members of I can reassure the members of this committee that our banking system remains sound. Treasury Secretary Jane Yellen testified to Congress early on Thursday. 
stop. When you hear people using terminology like I can reassure or you can trust or you can you can depend, you should be wary. <laughs> you should be wary. So let me get this. Let's get Ecclesiastes in the Bible, chapter 3 and verse 15. I want y'all to understand this, man. So Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Verse 15, it says, that which has been is now. So what it's saying is that which has been is talking about the past. But it's letting you know that the past is going on right now because history repeats itself. I know, you know, the boring stuff nobody likes. Nobody likes to read. Nobody likes to hear. Go to sleep on. Oh, it's so boring. (sighs) Well, that's happening right now. There's a uh, proverb that says, if you don't know your past, you you won't know your history, and you're bound to repeat it. That's true, y'all. Let me read this again. So Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 15, that which has been is now, and that which is to be, meaning the future, has already been. So the things that happened in the past, they're going to happen again. Now watch this. And God required that which is past. So the Most High requires history to repeat itself. It's in a cycle of things. You read this whole chapter in Ecclesiastes, chapter 4, it talks about the cycle of things. So everything has a cycle to it. A cycle is where it starts in one point and it comes back around. You know, we do use these terms loosely when we say what comes around goes around. Things of that nature, man. It's very true. So the reason I read this, man, about how history repeats itself is because Rome was set up just like what? Like America. (laughs) I don't know if y'all knew that. That's why here in America, you have a what? You have a Senate, just like they did in Rome. In America, you have a Capitol Hill, just like they did where? In Rome. In America, you have the democratic process, the voting process. There's nothing new. They had that back in Rome, y'all. It's the same place. All right. So with that understanding, I want to read from this book here, y'all, and it's titled The Story of Civilization, Caesar and Christ by Will Durant. It's a good book, y'all. Great book, in fact. So I'm reading from page 631. I want y'all to listen to this. It's titled The Collapse of the Empire. The economic decline, political anarchy, accelerated economic disintegration. I'm sorry. Yeah, disintegration. Disintegration. My bad. I'm reading it. Political anarchy, accelerated economic disintegration. So, but it says political anarchy. I don't know if y'all have been noticing politics or even keeping up with politics now, but you have politics are in a disarray. You have Republicans going against Republicans, Democrats going against Democrats, and it's just a whole, it's a hot mess. And it used to be a time where the Republicans would be unified, the Democrats would be unified, whatever nonsense they was talking about. But now... There's no like no loyalty. 
You got Trump running again for office, and he's probably going to win, y'all. Don't get y'all jaws all tight and try to put no faith in the democratic process because it wasn't set up for y'all. No different than this country wasn't set up for us. Israelites, black black and brown people, can y'all stop trying to run to the damn polls, you idiots? It hasn't worked for us in the time that we've been here. So what makes you think it's going to work now? And for you holy rollers, you so-called Christians, we're followers of Christ. When did Christ ever vote? I'll wait. I'll wait for that answer. Hit me up, y'all. <laughs> hit me up, 314-482-9110. Or hit me shop up. Either one. Show me in the Bible where Christ voted, where Christ woke up early in the morning, had his voter registration or voter uh Breakfast. He had on his uh, "Rock the Vote" or whatever the slogan is now. T-shirt, and Christ had his cup of Joe as he went down to the polls to vote early in the morning at the middle school. Show me that in the scriptures, y'all. Christ specifically to surrender to Caesar the things which be Caesar's. <laughs> That's what Christ said. He didn't say join up with Caesar. He didn't say vote for Caesar. He didn't say vote or die. He said surrender unto Caesar the things which be Caesar's, man. We have no place in the democratic process, y'all. You see what's happening to their democratic process. You see how they're ununified. You see how it's chaotic. Well, it was like that in Rome before Rome fell. Let me read this again. Political anarchy accelerated economic, uh, I don't know why I can't get this word, disintegration. An economic decline promoted political decay. Each was the cause and effect of the other, meaning you're going to have political anarchy and you're going to have economic issues. They're one and the same. They're going to feed off each other, and that's what's going on right now nationally in America, which is spread through the global economy, just like it did in Rome. It says, each was the cause and effect of the other. Roman statesmanship had never found a healthy economic life for Italy. Now, this is talking about way back the Romans, the Edomites, because they are. This is they never had a healthy economic life. And you know why? No different than this country, man. And it, the answer is simple, greed. That's why the economics aren't healthy for this last kingdom, the, the Edomite Empire. Their greed their over-greed overtakes all logic, all morals, all everything, man. What's that? Wu-Tang, cash runs, everything around me? That's Esau. That's all they care about is money from its political system, from even its damn infrastructure, its medical system. The last time I've been to the doctor, I, I've been getting real familiar with the medical system, not by choice, here lately. 
anyway, and y'all probably know this, you know when when your doctor send for your medical records that you got to pay for that? <laughs> I don't know if y'all knew that. Some doctors, they will make you pay to get your medical records sent over to them. It's like 25 bucks. You pay for everything. And they love to bill your insurance even if they got to fight with your insurance to pay. And guess what happens when your insurance don't pay? That bill's handed down to you. So not only do you got to deal with being sick or whatever your issue is, now you got the stress of trying to pay your damn medical bill. Well, I'm going to say white folks and the nation because you know how black folks is, man. Oh, I got another. Oh, that ain't getting paid. <laughs> you know how we do, y'all. Anyway, we know it says Roman statesmanship had never found a healthy economic life for Italy, and perhaps the narrow plains of the peninsula had never provided an adequate base for uh, for the sowing aims of the Italian state. I ain't going to read all this. I'm just skip down. It says the production of cereals was discouraged by the, competi- the competition of cheap grains from Sicily. So this is outsourcing, and this was going on here in America. Man, a lot of things have been outsourced to where now, you call your cable company and you're speaking to somebody in India. And it's even uh, infiltrated the medical industry now, man, to where now they're outsourcing their call centers and you're booking appointments in whatever city or state you're in, you're booking the appointments over in damn Sri Lanka or some damn where. That's who you're talking to. So this is talking about outsourcing, which is going on in America like you did in Rome. It says, in the great vineyards, were losing their markets to uh, provincial provin- uh, wines. So it's talking about how, uh, like, like uh, what they call them, staples, grocery staples were being neglected for delicacies. That's what went on in Rome. That's what's going on now, man, here in America. You have the staples or the important uh, form- forming crops being neglected for some damn wine. You think I'm lying, man? Go and look at the uh, the drought of California and uh, the wines out there that took a hit to where now they're learning how to uh, to form wine in in the drought in droughts. You don't don't take my word for it, man. Go, go and check it out. It says farmers complain that high taxes consume their precautious profits and left them too little to keep the drainage of irrigation. And as we well know, irrigation uh, is a problem here with, in, in America as well, well as globally uh, with farmers from global warming and all of that stuff. As a matter of fact, global warming is contributed to, like I said, Esau's greed since the world is under his control and direction. What's the scripture in Proverbs that says, uh, matter of fact, let me get that real quick. I think it's Proverbs chapter 28. Hold on for a second. I'm looking for it. 
No, it's 29. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 2. When the righteous are in authority, <laughs> meaning when you have people that are doing the right thing in authority, when you have people that's doing the right thing, looking out for people, considering people, considering life, it says the people rejoice. So if the righteous were in authority right now, if the righteous were running everything right now, everybody would be happy. Everybody would be cool, like two little, like Fonzie, right? <laughs> Everybody would be chilling if the righteous were in authority right now, but the righteous ain't. It says, but when the wicked bear rule, the people mourn. And that's what's going on right now, man. People are mourning. That's why you got uh, people complaining about global warming and they having all these meetings and they talking about electric cars and all this other stuff now. And I always say this about Esau, man, he, he wants to be the villain and the hero all in the same narrative, man. Always. You destroyed us, but now you come back talking about some damn Earth Day. Now you coming back talking about, hey, we got to improve our carbon footprint on the world. When you don't want to mess the world up in the first place. Anyway, going back to this article. Um, it says, the canals, the canals filled up the marshes spread, and I ain't going to read all that. Let me get to the part that I wanted. It says, uh, large tracts of fertile land had been withdrawn from cultivation for residential estates. I'm going to read this again. Large tracts of fertile land had been withdrawn from cultivation for residential estates. Meaning what, man? They place their uh, leisure, their recreation over everything, including food. Because that's what's going on all around the country. And I've been I've been seeing this a lot just here in San Antonio, how they building up and they clearing space. You look at places that used to be like open fields, or like quarries or something like that, they building damn houses. And then, like I said, this is going on all over. I know it's going on going on in whatever city that you live in where you see them coming in and used to see open land, now it's a damn highway. Or now they got some waterfront property or some high-rises or some condos. You can't tell me that the so-called white man is not is not Esau that the Bible speaks about. They got the same mannerism, man. The same disregard for life. The same uh, what's the, what the word I'm looking for? Immorals. They don't care about anything but their damn money. That's all they're concerned about. All right, let me get um uh, hold on for a second, y'all.
All right, y'all. Sorry about that. Nature was calling. Anyway, back. Um, where do I want to go? Let's go to Revelation chapter 18. So still dealing with uh, the financial crisis. showing the uh, similarities between their old empire, which was wrong, and their new empire, which is America. All right. So let's get, uh, yeah, Revelation 18, verse 1. It says, And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, and this is what I want to get to y'all, Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils. Now, there are three Babylons that the Bible speaks of, y'all. I don't know if y'all knew this, but the first Babylon is ancient Babylon. Then you got Neo-Babylon or New Babylon. And then you have Babylon the Great. So this is not talking about ancient Babylon. It ain't talking about Neo-Babylon. It's talking about Babylon the Great. This was prophesied uh, throughout the whole Bible, man. So it says, I'm reading again. And he cried mildly with a strong voice saying, Babylon the Great is falling, is falling, and has become the habitation of devils. When it says habitation of devils, the word devil means deceiver. So what place deceives people like this damn place? It says the habitation of devils and the whole of every foul spirit. <laughs> and you can find every foul spirit in this place, man, from its bestiality to pedophilia to homosexuality. All of it is here in this place where you can be a damn um, acronym what they call it. you can be non-binary, you can be uh, what is it asexual? They just they pull this stuff out the crack of their tail, man, with this sexuality nonsense. But this stuff is foul, man. This is why I said in the hold of every foul spirit and cage of every unclean and hateful bird. It says now this is the point I'm going to get to for all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, meaning all nations have partook in America's fornication, whether it be spiritual or physical fornication. All nations have took part. You know why? Because America, or Babylon the Great, as the Bible calls it, runs the world. This is why all nations have partook. No different than back in Rome. Rome had all those providences and client states. No different than America. America has providences and client states. They're just known as territories. <laughs> it says, for all nations have drank of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornications with her. And this is why the banking system is going under right now. 
because Esau, so-called white people, only care about money. And because they only care about money, it's selling them right now. The Most High says that he tries the reins to give every man according to his doing. says it in Jeremiah, the 17th chapter. The Most High is giving him a taste of his own medicine. It's like no different than when we came out of Egypt and we started complaining. Somehow we wanted meat, so the Most High gave us quail. And what happened? He said, I'm giving you quail to coming out your nose. <laughs> You're going to be sick of it. Oh, this is what you want? I'm going to give it to you. So much so that, man, we, we were sick of quail. But the Most High is giving Esau that same treatment. Oh, you love money? All right, I'm, I'm going to make your money be the fall of you. That's going to be your downfall. Reading on, it says, For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. This is what I was talking about earlier. Everybody wants America's delicacies. Everybody wants to find the things in life. It's cars. It's uh, the bougie foods that they eat. The restaurants, it's exotic furs and exotic uh, stones or whatever it might be that's hard to get, that's expensive as hell, to where you would destroy the whole ecosystem just to create it. It's technology, the cell phones, the the, uh, electric cars even. It says, and I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. And this is a, this is applying us. This is talking about us, man. We got to really come out of the American mindset because we want these delicacies also. We want to just chill. We want to have the finer things in life. We want to be here like this captivity is just so great that we can hang out here another damn 300-plus years. I'm ready to go, y'all. I don't know about y'all. I ain't trying to get comfortable here. I ain't trying to look forward to another one of my kids graduating from damn high school here. I'm ready to go. I don't want to see that. I ain't trying to see my grandkids even graduate from damn middle school. I'm ready to go. But a lot of us are still stuck in this mentality like, we just going to grow old here and uh, raise up many more generations. No. Why, man? So things can get worse? So we we can physically watch our families crumble by the influence of this place through its homosexuality or its greed or its culture or till we just kill each other off? No, I'm ready to go. But a lot of us are still stuck here, still stuck in this mentality. Like, this is such a great place. Like, we on vacation or something. Nah, man, we was brought here for our punishment. This damn place ain't balling. Come on, man. Pay for every damn thing. 
Then it's expensive on top of that. You got to send your kids to schools where the teacher is not going to be teaching them the things you're teaching them at home, not going to be feeding them the food that you're feeding them at home, exposing them to damn holidays, lesbianism, faggotism, pedophilia. And, you know, I'm going to have to take you up on that, Nahar. I was rapping to Nahar, and Nahar told me, he's like, all right, if you get the opportunity, you get the chance Go and volunteer at your kid's school for a day. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about volunteering? Nobody's trying to do that. But he was like, no, I go so you can see what's going on. Because I don't know if y'all knew this, but it's a teacher shortage. Teachers is dropping like flies. I just got an email over the weekend talking about uh, the middle school, no, the grade school my kids go to. They got a new uh, superintendent or a new principal. And they just had one like a couple months ago. <laughs> it's crazy. But, I, yeah, bro, I think I'm going to take you up on that offer. He's talking about how he went and how the kids are out of control. The teachers is out of control. The teachers, it, it's cool to be openly whatever your damn gender is at school now, teacher or student. This is where we at, and this is where we're trying to stay. Read again, Revelation 18 and 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. It didn't say all people. It's talking about God's people. Because the, the rest of the nations are fine here. They got no problem with the the ruler, the, uh, the ruling power that's in authority. They ain't got no problem with the so-called white man. None. They love his ways. They heathens too. Remember this. They ain't got no problems with the way he do stuff. They ain't got no problem with his morals or lack thereof. But we should have a problem with it. We should have issues with this place. It says, come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sin, and that ye receive not of her plague, meaning that when the Most High, when Yahushua shows up to judge his plague, if you still got the American mindset, guess what you're going to catch? You're going to get that work too. You're going to catch Every, you're going to catch all the heat that you have shot coming with if you join to this place. It's time for us to wake up, y'all, and see what's going on. This place is not going to succeed. It's not going to stand. Let's get Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 5. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5, and it reads, Thus said the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusts in man. What are we, who are we trusting in? In, uh, what's his name? George Washington? In, um, Andrew Jackson? Ben Franklin? Um, Abraham Lincoln And I'm naming all these names Because that's who they got On their money and on their money it says what In God we trust <laughs> But it's they faces <laughs> It's letting you know Who their God is It's their money It's the, the 
Hey, shalom, y'all. <laughs> they kicked me off. Anyway, I'm going to read this again. Jeremiah 17, 5. Thus said the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusts in the man. Stop trusting in the United States government. <laughs> the same people that brought you over here and kept you in captivity for 400 years. The same people that split your families up and took you through all that psychological trauma that you still suffer from even to this day. You're trusting in them? Wow. It says, Thus said the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusts in man and that and make it flesh his arm, and whose heart departed from the Lord. And this is where we at, man. A lot of our minds have really departed from the most high to where now we put all our trust and faith in whatever job or career we got or whatever little income we got coming in and we really think we're doing something. It says, For he shall be like the heat of the desert and shall not see when good cometh, meaning that you're not going to have any protection. It says, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land and not be inhabited. You're going to be a desert, deserted. The Most High is not going to fight for you. He's not going to defend you in your time of need. It says, blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. It says you're blessed if you truly believe in the Most High. And believing in the Most High is believing in the book, believing in his word, man, believing in the Bible. All right, so I'm running a little short on time, so let me jump to the next article. I'll play this one, y'all. A radioactive leak at a nuclear power plant right here in Minnesota. XL Energy says it happened at its plant in Monticello last November. Now, contaminated water is slowly creeping toward the Mississippi River. WCCO's Alan Henry spoke with agencies about how they plan to stop it and why it took months for the public to find out. Well, y'all listening to this? So they had a nuclear leak. (laughs) And remember, and I covered this too, uh, the previous show, about the train derailments that dumped all of that uh, waste into the atmosphere out there in uh, Ohio. But now this is a, a radioactive leak in Minnesota. Play, play on. Jeff Rowan lives about a half a mile from Excel Energy's nuclear power plant in Monticello. He had no idea that four months ago, 400,000 gallons of radioactive water leaked in the facility. Yeah, that, that concerns me. I think when somebody would have, wouldn't have told us, especially the city should have let us know. Somebody should have let us know. Both XL and the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency released statements about the leak Thursday afternoon, making it public knowledge for the first time. They say on November 22nd, they discovered a pipe leaking the radioactive water and began working to fix it. Almost four months now. Why are people just now hearing about this? If at any Four months ago, this happened. Four months ago, and they ain't told nobody nothing. Had been a concern for the public safety, we would, of course, immediately uh, provided much more information. Uh, but we also wanted to make sure we fully understood what was going on 
uh, before we started raising any concerns with, with the public around us. Both Excel and the Minnesota Department of Health say at this point there's no risk to the public. The plant is located about three quarters of a mile away from the Mississippi River. And officials tell me. Now you got to ask yourself, they said there's no risk to the public. If there's no risk to the public, why the hell you didn't notify the public back in November when it happened? That leaked water has reached the river, at least not yet. The uh, groundwater beneath the facility, it's been uh, determined that it moves in the direction of the Mississippi River uh, slowly, but, but that's the direction that it flows or moves underground. As crews work to keep the leaked water on site at the plant and retrieve it from underground, they see the rain and snow we're getting now is actually helping. Actually, as the snow melts and contributes to water in the river, that actually creates a natural pressure uh, that will push uh, the water that leaks from our plant back toward the plant. So nature is actually working with us here, which is good. Alan Henry, WCCO, 4 News. Let's Come on, man. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 10. Never trust thine enemy. <laughs> I'm going to read it again. Never trust thy enemy. But these are the people that we want to keep trusting in, the people that we want to be a part of, that keep lying to us. They kill me with that. Whenever they have a spill, they come in and try to do damage control. Uh, there's there's no uh, potential danger to the public. Come on, man. So y'all y'all talking about damn um, engine emissions and how it pollutes the air, but you want me to believe that radioactive chemicals don't pollute the air and I ain't got to worry about that? Stop, man. Read it again. Please ask us 12 and 10. Never trust thine enemy. For like as iron rusted, so is his wickedness. You know how iron rusts? You can count on iron to rust. You can count on these people to be wicked, man. Yeah, First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. I went a little bit over. I tend to go, um, tend to go over like this either. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 1. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. Man, I shouldn't have to be telling y'all this stuff. I shouldn't have to be dropping the news. I mean, but I do it just in case, you know, we don't know. We ain't keeping up. It says, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. We should already know this. Christ told us in Matthew chapter 24 to what? To watch. It says, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night, meaning what? It's coming unexpectedly. And the most high, he's sending Christ. Christ, Yahushua is on his way, y'all. But it ain't going to be in the time that we expect it to come. You can't predict it. Verse 3, for when they shall say, peace and safety, like they do, say, oh, there's, there's no immediate danger. There's nothing to be worried about. No different than they said Ohio. They said the exact same thing. Man, it's like they're reading from the same damn script. <laughs> For when they shall say peace and safety, 
Then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, meaning what? We're not ignorant of what's going on. We understand the times we're living in. We understand that the grace that Yahushua gave us, we need to be taking full advantage of right now. But ye brethren are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief, meaning without us knowing that it was coming unexpectedly. We should be ready, brothers and sisters. This is the time that we living in. All right, y'all, I'm going to take a real quick intermission, and I'm going to come back and get into the class. class now titled Never Wax Pale uh, Never Wax Pale The Assimilation of the Jews Part 1 y'all Alright so uh, Let me see where I want to start at So what we've been going over is Because it was originally titled The Captivity of the Southern Kingdom And it is it still is that But we got to deal with the assimilation aspect y'all so to assimilate means to become uh, just like other people, man. And we know that the Most High always spoke, spoke explicitly about us not being like the other nations. But as we were put in these many different captivities by fault of our own, mind you, something we did that we started taking on the these nations, gods, their ideology, so on and so forth. From the Babylonian Empire And the Babylonians would be your Karen Day Ethiopians Then from the Persian Medes And that's where I left off uh, Dealing with the Persian Mede Empire Which would be your Karen Day um, The Medes would be your uh, Elamites So-called Indians And um, the, the I'm sorry Your Persians would be your so-called uh East Indians, and the Medes would be your uh, present-day Polynesian people, South Pacific Islanders, all right? And that's where we left off at. So let's get, uh, let's go to Holman's Bible Atlas, page 172, and I want to read this. We're going to jump around a little bit. 
It says, um, renew under Ezra and Nehemiah. Now, uh, in the series I've been going over, showing how Ezra, Nehemiah, the brother of Rubabel and the brother Joshua are part of the uh, Persian Mede and the Babylonian captivity, but uh, specifically the Persian Mede Empire, because these brothers went back to rebuild the first temple, the first temple that Solomon built, along with uh, different other brothers, different other prophets all during that same time period. Daniel was a part of those captivities as well. So this reads the renewal under Ezra and Nehemiah. It says, soon after 500 B.C., discouragement and spiritual apathy gripped Judah. And Judah is known as the southern kingdom, which was Judah, Benjamin, and some of the Levites. I have to try to Levite. So this spiritual apathy and, and discouragement was taken over the southern kingdom. Now listen to this. Malachi confronted the people with his uh, uh penetrating oracles that sought to re- revitalize the spirit of the people. The Jewish community was on the verge of cultural assimilation. Y'all hear this. The Jewish community was on the verge of cultural assimilation. Now, it says Jewish here, but they, you know why they put that here, because, you know, under the, the pretense that the Jewish, the, so, the, the impersonators, the, um, the fake Jews, but it's talking about the southern kingdom, which we know that the true Jews are black or people, and people of color. It says the Jewish community was on the verge of cultural assimilation. So what we were doing was we were acting and assuming the roles of these other nations. It says an extinction. <laughs> so much so that our nation and our culture and heritage was on the verge of being extinct being no more. Reading on, it says, God sent two pivotal figures to salvage the situation, Ezra and Nehemiah. Their ministries coincided with much greater Persian interest in their southern borders, because talking about the southern kingdom. Egypt backed the Greek encouragement, revolted against Persia, first in 488 B.C., and then later, in 461 B.C., and we're going to get to that also, how uh, Egypt backed the Greeks. We're going to find out why. During the reign of Xerxes I, and it's talking about Esther's husband, We I covered that, uh, yeah, last show. I did the show on um, Israel being saved through Esther. So this is Esther husband talking about. It says the Persians fortified many sites along the per- the the uh, Palestine coast and Cephala as supply stations and garrisons to maintain their holding on Egypt. Judah became strategically important in light of Egypt's obstinance. Both Ezra and Nehemiah's missions to Judah must be viewed against this backdrop. So it's letting you know during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, all of this stuff is taking place. Now, let's get Nehemiah. 
matter of fact, let me read the rest of this. Then we're going to jump into your mind. So jumping over, still in the home is Atlas, page 173. Now, this is really what I want to focus in on, y'all. It says, returning to Shusha after a 12-year term, Nehemiah served his people as governor a second time. So Nehemiah was the governor of the southern kingdom. And remember, it was Nehemiah, Ezra, Zerubbabel. These brothers went back to rebuild the first temple and to reestablish some order and some culture amongst our people, which we were losing because we were assimilated. It says, during which time he dealt with certain social and religious problems threatening Jewish identity. Y'all see this, right? So these social and religious problems was threatening us as a society as a whole. Now listen to this. Mixed marriages were forbidden. Commercial activities were banned on the Sabbath. And the Levites were reinstated to their rightful position. So this was Nehemiah coming in and reestablishing order, man. Because we was living like the heathen. It says, in effect, the efforts of Ezra and Nehemiah saved the Jewish community from extinction. Y'all see this, right? So these were some bad brothers that actually saved us and our culture and heritage from being extinct. Matter of fact, let me get this, man, before I read on in that. Let's go to Nehemiah now, chapter 13, and we're going to deal with everything he's talking about. Because remember it says that Nehemiah made uh, those marriages, uh, he, he forbid those mixed marriages. Let's see what mixed marriages is talking about. So we're going to Nehemiah chapter 13. Let me get this back up. There we go. So Nehemiah chapter 13 and let's start at verse 23. In those days also saw I Jews, now this is Nehemiah speaking, that had married wives of Ashdod. Now, Ashdod is, is, goes all the way back to um, the, uh, the Philistines. The Philistines and uh, going back to uh, David, I'm sorry, going back to Goliath. So uh, as we well know that Goliath was a Philistine. So the Ashdod were the Philistines, also African nations, y'all, so Hamites. So let me read it again. In those days also saw I Jews that had married wives of Ashdod, so African, of Ammon, Japanese, and of Moab, Chinese. And you can go go all the way back to numbers, and you can see how uh, we was Google-eyed and uh, ended up getting with the Moabite women. And it says uh, that uh, we started serving their gods. So this has been a problem amongst our people. No different than now, y'all. Look at our people now, men and women, going to get nations and marrying them. 
So this was happening back then, but this contributed to the assimilation. Because what did the Most High tell us about marrying other nations? Matter of fact, let me just get it. Let's get Deuteronomy chapter 7. And Nehemiah, go, he goes into this. So let's do, get Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whether thou goest to possess it, and had cast out many nations, both the Hittites, the Gergesites, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Perdesites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations gathered, I'm sorry, greater and mightier than thou. And when the Lord thy power shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenants with them, no contracts, nor shoot mercy unto them. Now listen, this is what I want to get to. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughters thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. Why? Verse 4. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. So we were marrying these other nations, and they were turning our minds, because the heart's talking about the mind, our minds from following the Most High. We start following their gods. This is why the Most High is not down with interracial marriages, interracial relationships, whatever you want to call it. This is why the Most High, he ain't down with that. And this is what was going on during the time of Nehemiah. I'm going to read this again in Nehemiah chapter 13 and verse 23. In those days also saw I, Jews that had married wives of Ashdod, of Ammon, and of Moab. And their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod. So they spoke the African language and could not speak in the Jews' language. So these kids didn't even speak Hebrew. This is how far we were removed from the Most High. Still is. It still go on. It says, but according to the language of each people, but they spoke those, that, that, uh, those heathen languages. It's like I say, I ain't no different than now. The language... Ain't the issue now You know what be the issue now When we have kids by these nations The kid grow up not knowing their heritage Or where they came from Then you get these women That these men be married into They they don't know what the hell to do With this little girl hair Her look a hot ass mess Because Ain't no white woman Or no other nation gonna know what to do With a black a little black girl hair they don't know what products to use because the products ain't the same that they use. It's not going to work. They don't have issues. You know, it's crazy, too, man. I work with this sister. And this is our people, too, man, our people. I'm just going to use this as an example. So her dad is Judah, so-called black man. Her mom is a car, right? So she grew up. She was raised straight as a car, right? Now, these still are people, but this is how messed up we are as a people. She she grew up like an Issacharite, but 
she looked like a Judite. She just got like she like a Judite straight up. But she never knew anything about slavery. She never knew anything about the civil rights movement. She don't know nothing about none of no black history. She don't have no knowledge of that. Instead of the family has uh not treated her the best either. She's like the black literally the black sheep of the family. Now this is just amongst our own people. How much worse do you think it is amongst another nation? Anyway, reading on, it says, uh, and I contended with them and cursed them and smote certain of them and plucked off their hair and made them swear by God, saying, Ye shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons, or for yourselves. So this, like I said, this is Nehemiah reestablishing order, verse 26. Now listen to what he says. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sinned by these? For he's saying, didn't Solomon do the same thing? The same stuff that you niggas is doing, didn't Solomon do that? And then what happened to Solomon? He went off. He started worshiping their other gods, and this nigga went so far as to start building shrines and groves and temples for the other gods. And some of the places that he built was inside the temple, the Most High Temple. It says, yet among many nations was there no king like him. Meaning what? He was the wisest king ever. He had a lot of wisdom. And Solomon did a lot of good for Israel. But he did a lot of wickedness also. Now listen to this. Who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women Cause to sin. Outlandish means foreign or unusual or bizarre. It's called them outlandish or, or unusual or bizarre because that ain't what we did. Verse 27. Shall we then hearken unto you to do all this great evil? Do transgress, to transgress against our God in marrying strange wives. This is what we was doing. So what I read and I'm going back to it now in this uh, Holman Bible Atlas. I'm going to read this part again. Um, mixed marriages were forbidden. Commercial activities were banned on the Sabbath day because he also did that. But I want to want to focus in on the, is the mixed marriages. He forbid them. Now we know why he forbid them because it was just out of control. And when you're trying to reestablish your people as a nation, then you got to get rid of all the leaven. Like uh, Paul said, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. It says, mixed marriages were forbidden, commercial activities were banned on the Sabbath, and the Levites were reinstated to their rightful position. In effect, the efforts of Ezra and Nehemiah saved the Jewish community from extinction. New foundations of the Jews were laid for the physical and spiritual well-being of the Jewish community. However, listen to this. So these brothers did reestablish us as a nation, brought the, the law, statutes, and commandments back to the people, but listen to this. However, the threat of cultural assimilation 
was not over. <laughs> it wasn't over. Now listen, it says the Greek period presents even greater challenges to Jewish identity. Which brings us to this right here, y'all. Let's get Daniel. Let's get into it. Let's get Daniel chapter 8. We're going to Daniel chapter 8 and verse 1. And it reads, In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, now this is the Babylonians. Now we got to go here so we can move forward. So we're going back only to take some steps forward. So it says, In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, vision appeared unto me, even unto me, Daniel, after that which appeared unto me at the first. And I saw in a vision, and it came to pass when I saw that I was at Shushan in the palace, which was in the providence of Elam. So remember I talked about the Persians being the Elamites or the East Indians? So this is where he was at. He was in India, and in one of the providences is India. And I saw in a vision, and I was by the river Elam. Then I lifted up my eyes. And saw, and behold, there stood before the river a ram, which had two horns, and the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher came up last. All right, y'all, so let's get the breakdown of the meaning of what he's talking about. We're going to jump over to verse 20. It says, the ram which thou sawest, having two horns, or the king's of Media and Persia. So he's talking about the Persian Media Empire. Now, this is the, the allegory being used is in verse 3, but then he comes back in verse 20 and lets you know what he's talking about. So that realm is representing the Persian Media Empire. I hope you all see this. Now, going back to verse 3. Then I lifted up my eyes and saw, and behold, there stood before the river a ram which had two horns. Two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher came up last. Now, when it says two horns, so horns represent power, y'all. In case you didn't know, let me get this real quick just to prove it. Let's go to Psalm chapter 134. One, oh, let me get it. No, 148. 148 verse 14, showing how the horns are talking about power. Psalm chapter 148, 
verse 14, he also exalted the horn of his people, the praise of all his saints. It says he also exalted the horn. The horn is talking about power, man. That's why it says it's exalted. If you're exalted, you have power, you have status. When it talks about the horn, no different than it talks about in Daniel about that ram's horn. The ram's horn or power is in his horn, y'all. When you see, uh, I don't know if they still have them damn Dodge Ram commercials where they have the two rams ramming, ramming each other with their horns be locking, because that's where the power is. The power is in the horns. So when it talks about going back to Daniel chapter 8, it says uh, in verse, what verse was I in? Verse 3. Then I lifted up my eyes and saw, and behold, there stood before the river a ram, which had two horns, so two powers. And the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other. And the higher came up last. And once again, these horns is the Persian Mede Empire, y'all, which is talked about in verse 20. All right, so let's jump to. Sorry, y'all, let me get my notes together. Let's jump. Matter of fact, let's keep reading. Verse 4 I saw the ram pushing westward and northward and southward so that no beast might stand before him. Now, let's break down what the beast is. So hold this and let's jump over to Daniel chapter 7 and verse 3. We're going to jump. And four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. So here again, here again, it's mentioning these beasts. This is allegory, y'all. So now let's jump over to verse um, 17 in Daniel chapter 7, verse 17. These great beasts, which are four, are four kings, which shall arise out of the earth. So when it talks about beasts, here in Daniel is talking about kings, kingdoms, all right? I want us to understand this. So going back to Daniel chapter 8 and verse 4, I saw the ram pushing westward and northward and southward so that no beast or no kingdom might stand before him. Neither was there any that could deliver out of his hand, but he did according to his will and became great. Verse 5, and meaning, matter of fact, yeah, let me break that down. Meaning that nobody was stopping the Persian Mede Empire, man. There was no king or kingdom standing in his way. Verse 5, and as I was considering, now listen to what Daniel's saying, as he's considering the vision that he got, as he was thinking about what verse, uh, the verses prior to verse four, uh, 5 was talking about, as he was considering that, he says, and he goat came from the west on the face of the whole earth and touched not the ground, and the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. So we got to find out who this he goat is representing. So we're going to jump over in the same chapter, Daniel chapter 8. We're going to jump over to verse 21. Now watch this. And the rough goat is the king of Grecia. So rough goat, he goat, same thing. But who is this goat referring to? The king of Grecia. 
and the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. This y'all is talking about Alexander. Alexander the so-called great. I hope everybody is getting that. That's the ego. This is the new uh, empire that's coming into power, and the Greek came into power around 333 B.C., y'all. And when it talks about uh, and the great horn, this is why he called Alexander the Great, because <laughs> he was great. This dude conquered the non-living world, world in about 12 years and was a young cat doing this, man. So let's jump back to Daniel chapter 7, and we're going to read verse 1 again. It says, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and a vision of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heavens strove upon the great seas. And four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse from one another, meaning they were different. Now remember, Daniel chapter 7, verse 17, these great beasts, which are four, are four kings, which shall arise out of the earth. So the four beasts is talking about in chapter uh, 7, verse 3, talking about the four kings, the first king being uh, Nebuchadnezzar, king of the Babylonians, the second king, when it turns out to be a kingdom, was a co-rulership, was the uh, Persian and Mede Empire under Darius and Cyrus. And then the third beast that came up from the sea, which we're uh, in that time period now talking about, is Alexander the Great or Alexander the Greek. Reading on verse 4, the first was like a lion and had eagle's wings, and I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand upon the feet of a man, and a man's heart was given to it. So that's talking about um, the Babylonian Empire coming into power around 586 B.C., verse 5, And behold, another beast, a second like to a bear, and it raised up itself on one side, and it had three ribs in the mouth of it. So this, once again, is talking about the Persian Mede Empire, which came into power around 538 B.C., which is also uh, referred to in Daniel the 8th chapter as the ram. It says, uh, reading on, and it had three ribs in the mouth of it between the teeth of it, and it's talking about the three kingdoms they took out before they came into power, that being the Assyrians, the Egyptians, and the, uh, the Lydians. And they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I beheld, and lo, another, like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. So it's called a leopard here because how quickly Alexander moved and taken over the known living world. Like I said, it took this dude about 12 years to conquer the dark nation. That's why he referred to as a leopard. Now, remember in Daniel chapter 8, he referred to as a he-goat, all right? And don't – it's using the, the uh, symbolism of animals, y'all, 
But don't think that a he-goat is like this little weak goat and it couldn't compete with a ram because it can. Y'all go online, man. Go online and, and uh, YouTube it. You'll see he-goats going at it with big animals, with bulls and everything, and, and getting down. So don't underestimate these animals. But that's why the he-goat is being used to represent the Greeks, man. Because they were underestimated. But they, they was bad, man. Alexander was a bad dude. Uh, what was I at? That was verse four, right? So I'm going to read the verse six. Let me read it. Yeah, I'm at verse six. Uh, After this I beheld and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads, and the meaning was given to it. So we're going to get to the four heads and all of that. But this is talking about, once again, y'all, Alexander coming into power around 333 B.C. Now, let's get First Maccabees chapter 1. I want us to understand that all these beasts, these four kingdoms that came up, Israel was in the position of servitude, servitude up under these four kingdoms, four nations, these were the captivities that we went into. So we went into the Babylonian captivity on the Nebuchadnezzar. Then we went into the Persian cap, Persian and Mede captivity under Cyrus the Great. Uh, then we went into the Greek captivity under Alexander. And that's the time period we're dealing with right here. So First uh, Maccabees chapter 1, verse 1. And it came, I'm sorry, and it happened. After that, Alexander son of Philip, the Macedonian. Now, we got to deal with this, y'all. Now, I went over this when I did um, the rest of Esther, or did the class on Esther last week. But it says here that Alexander's daddy was known as Philip the Macedonian. So we got to deal with it to see who these people are. So we're going to go to the rest of Esther, chapter 12. Like I said, I did this in the uh, class I did on Esther, but I got to pull it out again so I can show everybody, man, that the Bible is accurate as hell and that all people are in the Bible. So let's go to the rest of Esther chapter 12 and verse 6. It says, How be it, Amon, the son of Amathadias, the Agite. So Amon was the son of this cat named Amathadias, and it says that he was an Agite. So who are the Agites? Y'all remember uh, Solomon, I'm not Solomon, uh, the Benjamite brother, Saul. Saul got in trouble because he was commissioned to kill the, uh, matter of fact, I jumped the gun. I'm sorry, y'all. Let's get who the Agites is. Let me stop talking so much. So let's go to, uh, stay in the book of Esther, the rest of Esther, chapter 16. Let's read verse 10. Nope, I'm sorry, I lied. Let's go to Genesis chapter 36 before we get that. Genesis 36.
Genesis chapter 36. And we're going to read verse 1. And we're going to jump. So Genesis chapter 36, verse 1. Now, these are the generations of Esau, who is Edom. So Esau is Edom. The names are synonymous. The Edomite nation, the Edomite people. Now we're going to jump down to verse 15. These were the dukes of the sons of Esau. So Esau, Edom, same people, but these are the sons. The sons of Eliphaz, the firstborn son of Esau. Duke Tietman, Duke Omar, Duke Zepho, Duke Kenai, verse 16. Duke Korah, Duke Gatam, and Duke, this is what I want to get to, Amlet, uh, Duke Amlet, Amalek. Duke Amalek. So why is Duke Amalek <laughs> so important? Because this dude, Amalek, was the father of the Amalekites. And this goes back to what we just read in Esther, how this dude, Amon, or Amon, was the son of Amathadus, the Agite. And the Agites are the Amalekites, y'all. They're one and the same. They're the same people. All right, I want us to understand this. Now, let's go to the rest of Esther, chapter 12. I'm sorry, chapter 16. And let's read verse 10. For Amon, a Macedonian. Now, remember this same Amon, he was also called what? An Agai, right? He came from the lineage and the stock of Agai, which is the Amalekites, which are Esau's sons. So we know he's from that lineage, but he was also called a Macedonian. I hope everybody is seeing this. He was called a Macedonian. Now, who else was called a Macedonian? Let's go. Let's stay in the Apocrypha. Let's go to First Maccabees, chapter one, verse one. And it happened after that. Alexander, the Macedonian. Y'all see this, right? Y'all see this, right? So, Alexander is from what lineage and from what stock? He's from the stock of Esau. He's an Edomite, y'all. He was an Edomite. I hope everybody's seeing this. Now, there's another part I want to get to in Esther. Let me keep reading. But um, Amon, a Macedonian, the son of Amalathiah, being indeed a stranger from the Persian blood, because let you know he was not kin to the Persian. And far, and far distant from our goodness, and as a stranger received of us. It says, now I'm going to jump down to verse 14 to the press for time. For by these means he thought, finding us destitute of friends, to have translated the kingdom of the Persians to the Macedonians. So the Macedonians, the Edomites, put a spy in 
the Persian Mede Empire to take them down from the inside. Like I said, I went over this when I discussed uh, Esther, the story of Esther, a couple weeks back. So I did all this to show us that Alexander comes from this same stock, and he was the Edomite. So when it says, going back to First Maccabees, chapter 1 and verse 1, and it happened after that Alexander, son of Philip the Macedonian, who came out of the land of Kittim, and it's talking about Italy, had smitten Darius, king of the Persian and Medes, that he reigned in his steed, the first over Greece. So this was Esau's first rise to power right here, y'all. And you talk to the so-called white man, you ask him, well, when does your history start? And he'll tell you, Alexander, back in 333 B.C., why? Because this is when they came into power. They history don't start there. They history started way back centuries earlier in Genesis, the 25th chapter. But this is when they became notable. This is when, um, yeah, like I said, they became notable. Matter of fact, let's go back to uh, Daniel chapter 8. And I want to read y'all this again. Read it earlier, but I read over it. So, Daniel chapter 8, and verse 5. And as I was considering, behold, he and he go came from the west of the face of the whole earth and touched not the ground. And the, and the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. Notable means... Uh, recognition Who had the recognition? Alexander Alexander would had the recognition Because his father Philip United The Greeks and the Romans at the time Because they were fighting amongst each other He united all of these people And then Alexander Took the reins And he just started conquering so This is the notable horn that it's talking about because the people people still talking about who? Your damn history class, your world history class, you're studying about who? Alexander the Great, the notable king of the Edomite Empire. All right, going back to Maccabees, uh, verse 2. And he made many wars and won many strongholds and slew the kings of the earth and went through to the ends of the earth and took spoils of many nations insomuch that the earth was quiet before him, whereupon he was exalted, meaning he was lifted up, and his heart was lifted up. So it's talking about Alexander coming into power, uh, conquering the dark nations at the time. Now we're going to go to, where is it at? The Jerusalem timeline, y'all. Here we go. So, three thirty-three. Here it is. All right. So it says under Alexander, but the, the Ptolemies and Seleucus, Hellenistic period, three thirty-two B.C.E. Jerusalem capitulates to Alexander the Great. During his sixth year, Macedonian conquest of the empire of 
Darius III of Persia, Alexander's army took Jerusalem without complication while traveling to Egypt after the siege of Tyre. So what the hell are you talking about without complication? Because the Greeks came in, man, and they didn't go to war with, with Israel. <laughs> they didn't go to war with us, y'all. It wasn't no uh, no swords drawn or none of that went on. It was without complication. Now, the event that he's talking about, hold on, y'all. I think I got a question. <laughs> oh, man, I remember that. <laughs> I remember that candy because, <laughs> wow, that's a blast from the past right there. So we had a candy that came in a box. It was called Alexander the Great. <laughs> candy was good too, man. But I'm just saying how notable this dude is. He got damn candy named after him, man. Thank you for that, cuz. Hold on, y'all. Give me a second. Sorry, T got me this morning, y'all. But um, it talks about, let me see, uh, back to the Jerusalem timeline. Alex and his army took Jerusalem without complication while traveling to Egypt after the siege. So Alexander, before he came to Jerusalem, he went down into uh, captured and conquered Egypt. This is why you have uh, Alexandria, Egypt, and why they had the Alexandria uh, Library, which they eventually, the Edomites burnt up down there. This is why you have those places named after him. So let's go to what it's talking about in this timeline. We're going to go to the Josephus, y'all. I'm going to get y'all the book and uh, chapter all of the seven. I hope I'm not going too fast, man, and I'm not confusing y'all. But I know it's a lot of information. Uh, is it 305? Yes, 305. I ain't going to read all of this, though. I guess I got to. All right, so let's go to uh, Antiquity of the Jews. It's Book 11, 
chapter 8 and uh, paragraph 1. Damn, it's almost time, man. I'm sorry, y'all. Um, concerning Sandoval and Manasseh and the temple which they built on Mount Gizim, and as also how Alexander made his entry into the city, Jerusalem, and what benefit he bestowed on the Jews. About this time, it was that Philip, king of Macedon, was treacherously assaulted and slain at Ego by Persephone, the son of Shishavis. I ain't going to read all of that, man. Let me jump. Here we go. So I'm going to jump down to paragraph three. I'll get straight to the point. About this time, it was that Darius heard how Alexander over Hellespont and had beaten his lieutenants in the battle at uh, Granium and was proceeded further, whereupon he gathered together an army of horse and foot and determined that he would meet the Macedonians before they should assault and conquer all Asia. So he passed over the river Euphrates and came over Tyrus, the Sicilian mountain, and at Isbu of Sicilia, he wanted, I'm sorry, yeah, he wanted for the enemy, as ready there to give him battle. So this is talking about uh, Darius, uh, the Persian meat empire, how he met up with uh, Alexander, and they went into battle. But that ain't the point I want, man. Hold on, y'all. All right, here we go. Now, Alexander, when he had taken Gaza, made haste to go up to Jerusalem. And uh, Judah, the high, uh, uh, I hope I'm saying this dude's name right. The high priest, when he heard that, was in agony and under terror, as not knowing how he should meet the Macedonian. So this was our priest, and he had he heard word of uh, Alexander coming up uh, to take Jerusalem. So he was going through changes, y'all. And remember, well, y'all don't remember because I didn't read it. But before this even happened, uh, Alexander sent word to the priest letting him know that he was coming and he needed to pay tight or pay tribute. And we were so uh, loyal as a people to the Persian and me empire, we understood that the powers that be were ordained by the Most High, and we knew that they were in power, so we were giving them tribute. So the priest was like, hey, man, look, we already paying Darius. We can't turn around to pay you. You know, the priest not understanding at the time that it was the time of the Greeks for them to come in power and for us to be under their captivity for our disobedience to the Most High. So it says that he was in agony and under terror as not knowing how he should meet the Macedonian since the king was displeased at his foregoing disobedience. I'm going to keep going, y'all. Don't worry about that. He therefore ordained that the people should make supplications 
and should join with him in offering sacrifices to God. So the priest told, hey, man, we're going to pray to the Most High. We're going to send these sacrifices up, whom he besought to protect that nation and to deliver them perils that were coming upon them, whereupon God warned him in a dream, which came upon him after he had offered sacrifice, that he should take carriage and adorn the city and open the gates, that the rest appear in white garments, but that he and the priests should meet the king in the habits proper to their order. So he told them what to wear and how they were going to meet Alexander. Without the dread of any ill consequences, which the providence of God would prevent. He said, man, nothing going to happen to you. Do what I'm telling you to do. Upon which, when he rose from his sleep, he greatly rejoiced and declared to all the warning he had received from God, according to which dream he had acted entirely, and so waited for the coming of the king. Verse 5. I'm sorry, chapter, uh, paragraph 5. And when he understood that he was not far from the city, he went out in procession. So the priests, all the priests went out in a procession with the people, y'all. And remember, all of us are wearing white. So this is what Alexander sees when he comes to take the city. With the priests and the multitude of the citizens, the procession was venerable. And the manner in, in the manner of it different from that of other nations. Meaning no other nation got down like this. You know what it is like, so they don't do it like we do. It reached to the place called Safa, which name translated into Greek signifies a prospect. For you have been a prospect both of Jerusalem and of the temple. And when the Phoenicians and the Chaldeans that followed him, so these were the other nations that Alexander had conquered. He just made them a part of his army. They had followed him, uh, thought they should have liberty to plunder the city. So they wanted to just destroy Jerusalem. It says, and to torment the high priest to death. King's displeasure fairly promised them. So Alexander promised that they could do this, right? Now watch this. The very reverse of it happened, meaning it didn't happen. For Alexander, when he saw the multitude at a distance in white garments, while the priest stood clothed in fine linen, and the high priest in purple and scarlet clothing, with his mitri on his head, having the golden plate on which the name of God was engraved. So this priest was decked out with his mitri on, then he had his ephah on, and he had the Most High's name written in it. It says, he approached by himself and adorned that name. So Alexander walked up by himself. He seen the priest decked out. He seen him having the name of the Most High on his breastplate, and he adored him. And first saluted the high priest, saluted him. The Jews also did all together with one voice. Salute Alexander. So all of us saluted Alexander, man, and encompassed him about. We surrounded him. Whereupon the kings of Syria and the rest were surprised at what Alexander had done. So remember, Alexander had conquered all these dark nations, 
but what he did was he incorporated all of them in his army. So that's why you hear the Syrians being named, the Phoenicians, the Chaldeans. They were part of this Greek army or this Edomite or white army. It says, and the rest were surprised at what Alexander had done and supposed him disordered in his mind. So they were surprised because Alexander was mad because, remember, we said we weren't going to pay tribute to him. So he was determined to destroy the city. And at the time, Alexander and his men, they needed uh, supplies because they had been fighting. So he was hot. But, but now he had chilled out. He's paying respect to the most high. So the people that was with him, his army said, man, this dude lost his damn mind. However, Parmenio alone went up to him and asked him how it came to pass that when all others adorned him, he should adore the high priest of the Jews, to whom he replied, now listen to what Alexander told him, I did not adorn him. But that God, who had honored him with that high priesthood, he said, man, I ain't adoring him. I'm adoring the most high. It says, for I saw this very person, listen to this, y'all, in a dream, in this very habit, when I was at Dio in Macedonia, who, when I was considering with myself how I might obtain the dominion of Asia, so he said he was contemplating when he was in Macedonia how he was going to conquer Asia. And he had this dream. Now watch this. It exalted me to make no delay, but boldly to pass over the sea thither, for that he would conduct my army and would give me the dominion over the Persians. Man, I got to get this on He saw this in a dream, in a vision. Where did Daniel see Alexander or the he-goat or the, uh, what is the what is called, the leopard? Where did he see him coming into power at? In his dreams. So the Most High had gave Alexander a dream about him coming into power. I hope y'all see this, man. It says, whence it is that having seen no other in that habit and now seeing this person in it and remembering that vision and the exhortation which I had in my dream, I believe that I bring this army under the divine conduct. He said divine conduct, meaning what? There's a higher power. He understood and gave praise to the most high, acknowledging the most high, and shall therewith conquer Darius and destroy the power of the Persians and that all things will succeed according to what is in my own mind. This dude knew that the Most High was giving him the kingdom, the power, rulership, and authority on the earth. He knew this, man, through his vision, his dream that he got. And now it was coming to fruition because he's seen this priest that the same priest he's seen in his dream. Now I'm going to read on, y'all. It says, and when he had said this to Parmelio and had given the high priest his, his right hand, the priest ran along by him, and he came into the city. And when he went up into the temple, he offered sacrifices to God.
This was Alexander, a nation, a white boy, offering sacrifices to the God of Israel. It says, according to the high priest directs, and the priest was directed on how to serve the Most High, and magnificently treated both the high priest and the priest. And when the book of Daniel was shown him, They showed this dude the book of Daniel. And which parts you think they were showing them? The parts we just read that we already went over, y'all. It says, wherein Daniel declared that one of the Greeks should destroy the empire of the Persians. He supposed that himself was the person intended. And as he was then glad, he dismissed the multitude of of the multitude for the present the day but the next day he called them to him. So he told everybody to go away. Now watch this. And bade them ask what favors they pleased of him. So the next day he was like, Hey man, what do y'all want? I know y'all want some. I want to give y'all some because y'all have revealed a lot of stuff to me that I didn't know that was significant about the dream that I had and then how I'm conquering the world. He says, whereupon the high priest desired that they might enjoy the laws of their forefathers. So when when I told y'all, and it tells you in the Greek or the timeline, the Jerusalem timeline that I gave, Alexander came in and conquered Jerusalem without any warfare, without any incident, man. And then the high priest asked, he said, man, we just want to serve the Most High and honor the Most High and keep his laws. So that was one of the requests. He says, and might pay no tribute on the seventh year. And we didn't want to pay no tribute on the seventh year because that was part of the law, man. Because you would let the, the land, you would form the land for seven years or six years and let it rest on the seventh year. Because the tribute was not just money, y'all. It was crops and things. So we basically wanted to keep the law. Now listen to this. He granted all thy desire. And when they entreated him that he would permit the Jews in Babylon and media to enjoy their own laws also. Because where were we scattered to? Remember the Babylonian captivity? Because a lot of us still in Babylon. Remember the Persian Mede captivity? A lot of us were still in these providences that Alexander was taking over. Now listen to this. He willingly promised to do hereafter what they desired. And when he said to the multitude that if any of them would enlist themselves in his army, I'm going to read this again, y'all. And when he said to the multitude that if any of them, any of who? The Israelites would enlist themselves in his army on this condition. So you had a lot of Israelites that enlisted in what? In the Greek army. And they became what? Greeks. I hope y'all seeing this, man. 
that they should continue under the law of their forefathers and live according to them. He was willing to take them with him. Many were ready to accompany him in his wars. I hope y'all seeing this, man. And this is how we started to assimilate. This is one of the ways we started to assimilate into Greek customs, y'all. So by the time you get to the New Testament and you're reading about there's no difference between the Greek and the Jew, it ain't talking about the other nations. It's talking about Israelites that grew up as Greeks. And I'm definitely going to get to that, y'all, Lord willing, next week as I continue this class, man. So I hope everybody got some edification, some understanding. I hope I was not going too fast. I know I was jumping around a little bit, and uh, my reading was kind of choppy. But I hope y'all got some edification and some understanding, uh, found out some things you didn't previously know. And this book is being opened up to you uh, more and more, uh, like the Most High has opened it up to me. All praises to the Most High, y'all. Uh, and until next week, tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend to please tune in to Tell the Pod Tuesdays, Tell the Pod Tuesdays, Tell the Pod Tuesdays every Tuesday. Oh, wait a minute, y'all. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I got a question. I'm sorry. I didn't see your hand raised. Yeah, you had a question, 0700? All right, I don't know when y'all raised y'all hand, and I, I completely missed that. But I'm I'm putting you on. You're on live right now. You had a question? Hello, hello, hello. All right, it's... It was two one oh area call, y'all. Uh <laughs> Bobby, I what you want? You had a question? No, I was trying to take myself off a of mute to hang up. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. All right, y'all. That was my wife, Bobby, I just messing with stuff. All right, y'all, with that I'm gonna say Shalom.